This is a Rooster Teeth production. In 1990, a museum was robbed of 13 works of art. The heist remains unsolved, but the determination to find the culprit is still in full force to this day, even after 31 years. The museum, the FBI, and the U.S. Attorney's Office are all still searching for leads that could bring home the art safely and expose the thief. Today, let's discuss the investigation following the largest art theft of all time, the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist. This is Red Web. Welcome back, Task Force, to another episode of Red Web, the show where we discuss unsolved mysteries, true crime, cryptids, the supernatural, everything in between. I'm your host, Trevor Collins, and with me, bringing his gut check, that instinct that Mm -hmm. I oh so crave, and distilling it all into a a little sippy cup of knowledge, Alfredo Diaz. (laughs) (laughs) I I won't let that go. I love that. Uh, Okay. 1990. Mm Mm-hmm. Big piece of art was stolen. Just one piece. Thirteen pieces. Thirteen of art. pieces. So yes. like a collection. A collection. We're gonna go what, through. Were they all from the same artist? Uh, no, actually, they're all from the same oh. museum, but from different artists. And there are some questions around why, like what the motivation behind these pieces of art were. We're gonna get into all the history, tons of investigation, and then a few pretty strong theories as to what's going on here. But yeah, thirty-one years, fully unsolved. I mean, we're talking about like. If you're talking valuable pieces of art, mm-hmm. the amount of money that could be is astounding. Oh, yeah. Also, I'd like to think that... Do you want to know how much it is? I'll just tell you right now. Yeah. In 90, it was $200 million. With that oh. juicy, juicy inflation number coming out these days. What? $500 million in today's dollars. I thought you were going to cool be like, dude... half a bill. I thought you were going to talk about a million. Inflated maybe like three. Yeah, no, I'm talking about a half a William right here. How are 13 pieces of art that expect? Look, I value mm-hmm. art and the space. Sure. 13 pieces of art. You can't put a price tag that on that much. Yes, you can. Okay. You that can. much money? <laughs> that much yeah, money. Dude. It's wild. Is this like, I don't know. Does it have like chiseled dinosaur bones in it or something like that? Like, is it studded with Listen, diamonds? These are historical ancient men that made these paintings. Let's dive into it. Let's get oh, into the history. The, the paintings go like yeah, it, way, it goes into the artist. Back. Let me let me actually like did Jesus paint these? So no, there there's some paintings, and then there's some like ancient Chinese sculptures and a few odds and ends. But we'll get into all okay. of that. A lot of them are actually Dutch for for one reason or another. So going into the history of this museum, very briefly, the Gardner Museum is located in Boston, Massachusetts, and it opened up in 1903. This thing's been around for quite some time. Isabella Stewart Gardner, for which this museum is named. She was an art collector, and she was the first American to own a Renaissance master's painting. Well, she designed this museum to look like a Venetian palace, and it contains, at the end of the day, 2,500 pieces of art. Lots of art from all over the world, all over history. It's a broad strokes, like wide swath of culture in this right. beautiful museum. And if that was turned into liquid cash, would it be all the money in the world? Ooh. Ooh, that's a good question. If you liquidated this museum, Jillian's nodding her head. What do you think, Jillian? That museum is crazy beautiful. Like, not even just the paintings they have, but, like, the architecture of it. Yeah. It's, like, it would be worth a lot of money. 
Oof. Yeah. It had to be. Maybe a couple Williams. Like, you couldn't even spend it. In a couple more. That's what I'm calling billions now, and I'm going to just keep saying it until it Oh, no, I caught on to it. I caught on to it. Just in case I, I, I had to spell I, that out for I'm anyone. I'm trying to use <laughs> Gugon and not latch on to that whatsoever. Uh, Teflon, it, is, it won't stick. Okay, so let's talk about the heist. So, at 1.24 a.m. in the early morning hours of March 18th, 1990, the night actually following St. Patrick's Day, two men dressed up, and this is probably taking advantage of all the chaos and things right. going on of St. Patrick's. So two men dressed as police officers walked up to the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. The men pressed the museum buzzer, claiming that they were responding to a disturbance and that they needed to be let in in order to check things out. So the security's like, all right, let's let these guys in. I, I don't know why, but they seem to be Wait, officers so, of the law. So was the museum closed at the time? Super closed. Oh, okay. Yeah, They're it's, closed it's off. Way push past the buzzer. Open up. They're like, hey, let us in. We heard a disturbance or we know that there's something going on. We Got just need it. to come in and take a look around. In that, well, si in that situation, would you let them in? No, well, uh, right? I don't know. It's a like, trust exercise. It really is. What's up? Julia, I think please. I heard that they're not supposed to let police in unless they ca call the police themselves. Interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, they are the security guards, right? Like, who else would have reported this disturbance? Questions are in the air, oh. but we'll come to find out that the Ooh. security at this place, mm, uh, maybe not up to snuff. Okay, that, maybe that history, be... maybe a suspect. Yeah. So these two men dressed up as police officers, who which I have sketches for, check out our Twitter page for those images, at RedWebPod, they were let in. As soon as they were let in, the guards were forced into the basement, then had their hands, their eyes, and their ankles all bound with duct tape. And there are actually photos of this. It's kind of disturbing because they are just normal human beings all strapped right. up with duct tape. Um, so if you do look into this case, you know, just some discretion is advised, but uh, they were left in the basement. Now, we'll park those guards for just a second. Let's talk about these culprits. So, How many guards again? Uh, that's a good question, Jillian. Are two. two. Two? But one at the desk. One at the desk. And one, one is doing rounds. Doing rounds. Got but it. they're both rounded up now in the basement. Okay. Cool. So in a tight 81 minutes like a Nick Cage film... There gone in 60 seconds. Uh, in 81 minutes, they managed to collect 13 pieces of artwork, once again valued at $200 million in 1990s USD. That is stupid money. It's a lot of money. These thieves actually took their time with the crime, and they were able to make a couple trips in and out of the museum. They went back and forth to their car about two times, transporting art back and forth. The guards were left in the basement now until around 8 a.m., they weren't actually discovered until the next shift came in to relieve them. And by then, so, the thieves yeah, had already left. I mean, they could have, they had all the time in the world. They could, probably could have robbed the entire place. Probably. And, yeah. Well, I mean, they seem to be kind lot, of, but like they could have robbed way more. Yes. And then also get gone to an airport and flown away. Absolutely. That's and And it's insane. weird. I do want to mention that, like, again, they seem to be taking their time. No rush here. There's also some questions as to why they went for these particular pieces of art, which again, I'll outline in, in a moment. But, they did a few other things while they were in there to kind of help cover their tracks. I would like to think it's probably because that they know the shift, right? That there's, there's probably like, hey, there's just two guards. Yeah. As long as the alarm didn't go off, there's no one checking in. There's no reason for panic. You know, I doubt there's like a, hey, phone in every hour. Right. Or something like that, right? right? Otherwise, we're, we're sending the force out there. So I don't, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming it's just two people. They tied them up and they went, we're good. Mm -hmm. the, the question is, and I'm, this might be getting ahead of the story. Like, there's 13 art pieces you said that were stolen? Yes. And you said they were diff from different artists? Yes. 
now were they all in the same room or was this scattered all around Ooh, the yeah. museum they are not scattered but they're different areas and i'm gonna break all that down oh, for you. Okay. yeah okay. i want to kind of go through kind of what else they did that night yeah, yeah. but go then immediately going to jump into that but before you raised a good question jillian do you know what the shift hours were for example did the current shift start somewhere just prior to their arrival something that maybe indicates that they maybe knew the hours because that is pretty good timing yeah, I remember in the documentary, the 8 a.m. shift when they were found starts mm -hmm. next morning. I don't know well, how long the shift is. I'll look it up. I haven't done security, but I have worked at a place that had three shifts covering the 24-hour day, and mm -hmm. they were eight hours each. So I would guesstimate that maybe this shift started 12 while Jillian kind of looks into this. Right. I would guess it maybe was around 12. And so waiting like for an hour and a half right. gives it time to settle, give time to, for people to leave. Yep. And it gives you a really sweet window to go at this place. Yeah, I mean... The fact that they took their time, mm -hmm. I would like to think that they at least they scoped knew. that part out. I don't oh, think yeah. it'd be that difficult to just kind of scope out the shifts of the security guards and right. then just time it. Yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. Just kind of watch. It feels like the easier part of robbing a museum, you know? Yeah. Just kind just of finding out like, it out. okay, I see two security guards go in at 12 o'clock every night. They don't come out until 8. Right. So, I don't know if this was preconceived knowledge as well, but they did do a couple other things that raises some eyebrows. So, when they were in... The museum. The museum did have various security measures in place to help with this system. They had alarms, but these did not alert the police. Worth noting. In fact, the only method of contacting the police, besides by hardline telephone, was a button behind the security guard desk. So immediately you understand that the security is a little flimsy. There aren't silent alarms that can be set off automatically. Someone has to be present at the desk to alert the police actively. So all these insanely valuable paintings yep. didn't weren't, didn't have like i don't know laser grids la yeah yeah i don't know they didn't they, like they didn't have laser grids or some type of like pressure right. like system or ancient and, temples have better security and, than right. this you know like <laughs> that's what i'm saying also wait the silent alarm doesn't call the cops it doesn't call the cops. Who which the is hell very, does it call the ghostbusters mm, like who ooh, are we calling now here? that's a good idea ooh, you ever like, see a, a painting float off you can't stop a ghost with a taser. But like, where's the, like, who are they calling? That's a very good question. Like the owner? Pro probably just alerts chief of uh, security guard. Wild. Wakes him up in the night. So a couple other things went down. The museum also had a couple things like cameras and motion detectors. However, these thieves were pretty ingenious. They took all the VHS recordings from the security room so that they had no trace from the cameras. They also took the printouts of the motion detector, because it would basically say timestamp, location, motion here. And it would print these out in order to note locations and times of movement. So they took that as well. However, they didn't know that this very same information was available on a hard drive. So we still have their whereabouts oh. throughout the night, which is nice. I'll, I'll let you look at what that printout would have looked like there. Oh yeah, it's just essentially time codes. Alarm point, Dutch room, mm -hmm. times, date, Someone is in the Dutch room. The Dutch room is very important. Wait, it literally says, someone is in the Dutch room. Investigate immediately. <laughs> and it just keeps pinging that over and over yep. and over again. Well, let's talk about that. Because you were talking about the rooms and the art paintings and all right. that. So let's talk about it. So most of the activity, as you mentioned, was in the Dutch room. And it's probably called the Dutch room because when looking up these artists, they are Dutch. So, and I'll do my best with the pronunciation as always. Okay. So we have a couple paintings from Rembrandt von Rijn. One of them named... Christ in the Storm of the Sea of Galilee. We have another painting called A Lady and Gentleman in Black. And then there was also a tiny four and a half by five centimeter 
self-portrait etching. Uh, we also have a couple other things like Johannes Vermeer's The Concert, one of the first paintings Gardner actually ever acquired. So this had been a historical piece, not only for the world, but also this museum. Right. Then also Govert Flink's landscape with an obelisk, as well as an ancient Chinese bronze goo were all taken. Uh, a goo, I believe, is essentially like a vessel. Then that's all from the Dutch room. Then five drawings by Edward Degas and a bronze eagle finial were all stolen from the short gallery. And then you also have Edouard Manet's Chez Tortoni, which was taken from the Blue Room. Suffice to say, none of these pieces have ever surfaced since they were stolen. They are lost somewhere in the world to this day, as well as who took them. I would like to think, and this is probably just because I watch a ton of movies, and this is a podcast about movies. Um, it is Rusty's number one podcast about movies, about mysteries. Yep. Uh, I'd like to think that they were sold on the black market and um, various rich people who buy things on the black market have it up to, uh, you know, hung up somewhere in their house next to other various black market items. Doing rich people stuff with them. Yeah. 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 Like, what would you do with it? Like, I know that's stolen. That would just make me kind of heebie-jeebies in my... I guess like who else is... Right? I, mean, you... I don't want to sit in a living room and look at a nice painting that was stolen. Then again, like who's going to know is stolen? Uh, and Me? Uh, True, but Captain, Captain Morals. And I'm sure most people, yeah, right. I mean, you're, it would probably eat us alive, like from the inside. Yeah. But no one's going to come in and, like, be like, oh, is that that right. stolen painting? Like, no, no, that's the, just a the reprint. The AT&T guy running fiber through your house isn't going to know <laughs> that that's like, whoa. <laughs> right. Well, so those are the pieces that were stolen um, from the various different rooms as outlined in the motion detector hard drive data. So, with that said, let's talk about the investigation because this is where it starts to get really interesting. A lot of information comes to light. We get a little bit close to that tangibility that you also crave. I love it. But then, as with every unsolved mystery, there's a wrinkle that always frustrates us because yep. you go, man, in hindsight, if that wasn't the case, maybe this could have been solved. But Mystery for a reason. Yeah. I mean, already the hindsight is this place has an insane amount of uh, valuable items. Like, the security's terrible right the security is on par with um what mcdonald's <laughs> mcdonald's all right so let's talk about the investigation because strangely the police noticed instead of removing the art from the frames is where it all starts they were cut out Someone simply oh, took a blade and doesn't that no come on you lose a bit of the painting by doing that because like some of it's tucked up in the frame but yeah they, they they hacked them out of there. Oh, so not only like if you were to find them, they're they're a bit butchered. Mm -hmm. And while these were all precious artworks intended for permanent display at the museum, experts questioned why these artworks were stolen in such a manner, while many other, even more valuable pieces existed all throughout this museum. It, it really just draws the question, the motive behind these two individuals and why these particular art pieces from these particular rooms rather than anything else. So, all, like, my instinct off the bat was they had a shopping list and they went after those items. Mm -hmm. But since you're telling me that there are items there that were way far more valuable, and I'm going to assume that they weren't harder to obtain, mm -hmm. now I'm just thinking they were just like, let's just grab anything right. after it, right? That's like, where my mind goes. Right. I, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between two, but what do you think, Jillian? Well... Some of the pieces they took, like they're in different rooms, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But particularly the etching, I think they had to remove the frame. That self-portrait etching? Yeah, the yeah. really tiny thing. They had to they, they had to remove the frame, like, and same with the filial that took time to get off of the 
that Flag. like eagle. Yeah. Yeah. So some things it feels very deliberate. Yeah. Not only did they take their time, they took a couple trips. So like on one hand, yes, maybe it was random, but on the other hand, as Jillian's kind of saying, like, right, it does feel intentional. Yeah. Why would you take this tiny little self with a lot of effort too? Yeah. yeah. Weird. But then, oh, uh, but then so you then, pack out the other stuff. Like, <laughs> right. But, I mean, <laughs> if that's the case, then then they definitely had some sort of idea of what they were going after because I don't know. I would think that I wouldn't just go in there with a a, a box of like tools from the hardware store, mm -hmm. right? I'd have very precise like instruments. With that being said, too, if we're going down that path, they probably like walk the premises at some point in time, looked and like, you know, right. cased out the joint. And Look like, on those security cameras. Does anybody, mm -hmm. I mean, you only have two security guards to go off of, but can you match their body type? Yeah. I mean, that's a wild goose chase for right. sure, but it's a start, right? Now, further into the investigation, and, and once again, taking us back to 1990 in particular, DNA profiling was not nearly as advanced. It was certainly prevalent at that time, but it wasn't as advanced as it might be now. And the duct tape that was used to hold up the guards was lost during the investigation. So it wasn't able to be tested for DNA. How, <laughs> how is this a reoccurring thing in so many mysteries? Yeah. Valuable pieces of evidence just go missing. Yeah. What? This isn't like I'm just at home and I lost something. Isn't this like the government? Wasn't the, F the FBI's behind this? FBI's right? certainly involved. Absolutely. They're just losing stuff. Maybe it's just the the first folks on the scene are just like, or or what really might have happened. Contaminated Again, scene. I don't want to like pretend I know the, the history here. Right. What happened behind factual note taking uh, is that maybe the the guards arrive, they see their counterparts, their coworkers all tied up, and they're like, oh my god, cut the tape, throw it away. Like, cause they wouldn't think about it. And then maybe finally the police arrive on scene, also not thinking about it, mostly right. focused on the hundreds of millions of dollars. So like I can then, see it, then but the it's comes, certainly frustrating. Bags it up. Throws it away. Yeah, he goes, where'd you put that duct tape? Bagged and tagged. All right, Oof. we're out of here. Yeah, bagged and tagged. So with regards to the DNA analysis, though, what I do like about some of these more modern cases is that they do continuously test things throughout the years. So FBI spokeswoman Kristen Satera claimed that the FBI were actually performing a DNA analysis on other museum evidence as recently as 2010. Uh, but it is this is where they continuously get very cagey, the FBI, with this case. It's not known what was tested, nor the results of those tests. Again, you'll you'll find that this is kind of a recurring thing. Mm. As, as the FBI continues to investigate this, they're not releasing information much. Inconclusive. Right. Or they're just like, we're going to wait till we have them. True. Then maybe talk about it. But at first, a million dollar reward was posted for any information regarding this heist. And the museum, of course, received many calls for it. This reward actually increased over time not only with inflation, just but just with the eager desire to pull these pieces back. And now I think now it's presently at $10 million, right? So $10 million Damn. if you have any juicy deets. Listen to the end and I'll give you the reward email if you got any of those deets. I'll just like, I'll just take a little finder's fee, 1%. That's all I need. Just, just one. <laughs> but yeah, $10 million for any information that could lead to uh, finding these folks. So let's go back to 1994. The museum director, Anne Hawley, received, and I, I love hate this whole little thing. She received an anonymous letter from someone who claimed that they could return the paintings for $2.6 million, as long as they had immunity and anonymity from the FBI. Very interesting. So 
through this letter when talking to the museum director, they basically showcased that they had considerable knowledge about these paintings and information around this case that only the FBI would have technically known or the person who did it. They themselves said that they did not know who stole the paintings. It is just worth clarifying that they could procure them and return them. Just that they knew that they were stolen in order to reduce their prison sentence, whoever took them. But they were now being sold in another country. So there's a lot of little information. Feel free to stop me if, if I lose you. But they didn't know who did it. They just knew that they were stolen to lessen prison sentences. And regardless of all of that, they could get those paintings and return them. That's what they're claiming. Wait, why would they be in trouble if... Because immediately I was thinking that they're like, hey, I could return it. I, you know, I don't want a sentence, etc. Mm -hmm. Right? I want everything to be clean. Yes. In my mind, it was, I was just like, they own it. Or they, maybe they purchased it on the black market. Sure. Or they... Or then it's like they own the piece. Yes. Right. And there's like, look, I maybe guilt or whatever. Sure. I want to return it back. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if they don't own it and they just know we took it, why would they be in trouble for that? I guess well, maybe withholding information for a while. You or? want the immunity because yeah, you don't want to be arrested. You want right. to be anonymous so you're not at the behest of whoever did take this. Yes. Or, and we're gonna we're kind of opening the idea that the mafia is involved. If this person was a part of the mob maybe they would also want that immunity for past right. offenses. Yeah. So there's, it, it, this is where the case gets really, really interesting. Ooh. Yeah. But again, they stayed super, super high level, super anonymous. But either way, the writer told the museum to write a coded message in the Boston Globe, the newspaper in Boston, which they ended up doing. But in their second letter to the museum, they were turned off by the fact that the FBI was trying to discover their identity counter to what they wanted. So they never wrote the museum again. They basically said, fine, you're not, you know, honoring my requests and therefore I'm ghosting you. Dunzo. Damn. Quick too. Yeah. And now after this whole thing went down, after this, this anonymous letter writer, the FBI stated that those who returned the stolen paintings would be granted those two things, immunity and anonymity. Even if they were caught doing more serious crimes, they would still be given those So wait, that injuries. was just kind of like a public blanket statement that yes. the FBI put out there? Basically, they came so close to this lead, and then they they messed it up, and so they said, fine, fine, fine. We won't do it. We'll right. be, you'll be anonymous. I, you'll I, be immune. I'm guessing, no matter what. I'm and, guessing they put that out publicly because they're essentially just being like, please come back. Right, right. Please. Yep. Like, it's, it's all good. Please. We promise we won't do it again. Well, guess what? No one ever came forward again because oh of that. God. So the potential one, maybe the one person who was willing to mediate between the criminals right. and the museum. Um, I mean, here, here's, here, I mean, it, it gets into the gray area, right? Where yeah. it's like, you don't know what this person's done, etc. Mm -hmm. But sometimes just like the lesser of evils, if you are able to get these pieces back and then also find out information as to who took it, Maybe the organization behind it. Right. That's the bigger fish. Yeah. Go after that. Because they're also, they've also probably done worse things. Sure. And or trying to still continue to do things. Yeah. It's it's like, yeah, definitely a great area to negotiate that. But I mean, as we're about to outline here in just a few minutes, the FBI is no stranger to working with informants that have done pretty heinous deeds. True. Yeah. In too. order for, to kind of make amends for that, to like, capture other individuals who are out there yeah. doing stuff. So let's talk about the mob in particular and how the investigation kind of honed in 
on the mafia because the FBI believes that the robbery was in fact orchestrated by some form of organized crime circle. The FBI largely depended on interrogations, undercover informants, and sting operations in order to build their case and to be less coy specifically around the mafia, not just an ambiguous organized crime circle, but specifically the mafia. It's also worth mentioning, as you and I have kind of complained about at this point, the vulnerable nature of the security of this museum seemingly was pretty well known amongst many members of the mafia, which would give whoever did this, if they were members of the mafia, the, the insight that they would need to carry yeah. out this, this act with confidence to strut around like they might have done. They weren't running, right? Many mob members have been suspected of being involved in the theft, and many of them have since passed away, as with any crime of the past, people will eventually age out of life and, and we lose a lot of information, but we're going to talk about a few people in particular. Art thieves like Miles Connor used stolen art, for just so you know why maybe the mafia is right. in play. They used stolen art as bargaining chips. They would basically commit another crime in order to have bargaining chips that they could use to shorten the sentences of themselves or others to basically like, they'll do another crime to back down the, the punishment of other crimes. I didn't know that was a thing. It's wild. I didn't think about that either, but I, I guess it makes sense it in makes... some backwards way. <laughs> yeah, it's some weird way of like, I don't That's know. That's like some Wolf of having, Wall Street stuff. Having some type of like safety net. Yeah. But like, I never, I don't think I've ever like heard about that. Yeah. I'm going to steal these art pieces, use them as bargaining chips. I guess that it's way, like, I'm not as, I could, I don't know, bargained for less time. Yeah. That, that, I've never I guess heard like, of that. It's such a condensed piece of history that you could basically take it and run away with it. You could have such a valuable piece of human culture in your hand right. or in your pocket as far as that like small etching is concerned. Like, And so I guess maybe that's what made it such a high value target. Also, it's just very expensive, right? Yeah. This is where I want to talk about one of the more infamous of the FBI's informants. And so he wasn't publicly named at the time by the FBI, but the former crime boss, James Whitey Bulger, was rumored to be involved in some way with this theft. So let's talk a little bit about that because he claimed previously to not have been involved and Whitey's attorneys actually said that he was ready to give up some information about the paintings in exchange for a safer prison conditions just weeks before he was actually murdered in prison in Damn. 2018. He knew it was coming. So it basically lays the groundwork of does he, does he not know? What does he know? There's some ambiguous questions about what he might have been in the knowledge of, but some believe because of this and due to his connections with the Irish Republican Army that Bulger sold the paintings to them over in Ireland. He was already an FBI informant long before he went to prison while he was a crime boss and the FBI could not actually find a definitive connection between him and the theft, but there's enough here that some still believe that Bulger died with knowledge, at least to some degree, of where the art went after it was stolen. Just because of his history as an informant and because of some of the timing of certain things, but we'll never yeah. know. So I didn't know if I should conclude it because there's just already so much, but he was already an informant, right? Mm-hmm. And he told them that he didn't know who did the crime, but he wanted to know who because he was expecting some kind of... Like deal or something? Yeah, because it was on his turf. Oh, so he didn't know, but he was expecting to know. Yep. But then he also wanted to leverage that potential future knowledge for safer prison conditions, which probably I just read that. Yeah, got it. That's actually that that offers a lot more like insight. That seems like such a mess. It's but yeah. hey, it's an unsolved mystery, isn't it? 
Now, the most recent progress on this case actually came, which is always interesting when we do these cases, how recent some of the information is, of March of 2022. So like two or three months ago. Jesus, okay. Uh, there was recent progress on this case. Anthony Amore, chief of security of the Gardner Museum, said that museum officials received a tip encouraging them to take a closer look at the murder of Jimmy Marks, another individual. So let's take a little sidebar for just a hot second to talk about Mr. Marks. So Marks was a known criminal that some believe was murdered in direct relation to this particular heist. Marks was in fact shot twice in the back of the head in February of 1991, less than a year after this heist went down, while he was unlocking his apartment door in Massachusetts, also same state. This crime itself remains unsolved. So it's an unsolved mystery within an unsolved mystery. And according to Amor, the tip claimed that Marks was heard bragging about the possession and hiding of some of these stolen artworks. So if this man is informed whether he was one of the two or he was close to one of these two, the fact that he's out there boasting publicly and this word is getting around, you're going to upset the wrong people. Right. Unless some information slip. Like, damn, if you got away with it or if you have, you weren't the one that did it, but then have these pieces, they're extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. Be happy with the fact that you're probably getting away with it clean. Right. You're going to make a ton of money. He just like, had to let people know. He had to boast. God. He can't just sit there on, rest on his laurels and be like, look at that painting. Right. Oh. Look at the painting or look at all his money. This like, yeah. going to bring me in. Like, you're set, man. Like, you are set. All you have to do is just, like, be quiet. Right. I don't, you know, it's a hard thing to but do. But also, like, yeah, how do you how do you uncover it? It's like, if someone literally just, like, goes and follows you to your apartment, puts two in the back of you and then just walks away Oof. like there's probably very little evidence there right yeah. yeah especially if there's any sort of crooked activity happening i don't want to dig into all that but you know the mafia's got their fingers in a lot of places but moving on there's a lot of other individuals we're going to talk about but to button this one up Amore, the person who's talking about the tips also said that marx was friends with the late robert bobby guarente so that's one of the next two individuals we're going to talk about so guarente was a prime suspect in this heist from the very beginning. Miles Connor, who was the famous art thief that we mentioned prior, uh, he was in jail at the same time, and he actually told police that he himself suspected a man by the name of Bobby Donati. So now we have Bobby Guarente and Bobby Donati. So Connor and Donati, while being in prison together, is one thing. They were actually friends, and they had worked previously together on other heists. So the FBI took this lead very seriously and started to investigate. Outside of this, some theorize that Guarente and Donati aided in transporting some of the stolen paintings from Boston to Connecticut over then to Philadelphia, and maybe from there, question marks out into the world. There's, in fact, a Netflix docuseries that Jillian was kind of referring to, I believe, right? Mm -hmm. um, called This is a Robbery that suggests that they may have stolen the art to use it as a bargaining chip to get their boss, Vincent Ferreira, out of jail. So once again... Some dedication. Some very dedicated individuals, but it's also the second or third mention of these art like, pieces right. being used for leverage elsewhere. But then also, like, that never came to light, though. True. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like the best intentions, perhaps, never came to fruition. Man, you got to have a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of trust in your men if, like, if you're trying to have them rob these priceless, uh, essentially almost priceless pieces of, like, right. artifacts or, like, art pieces, and then they have it in their possession, and it's like, yeah, okay, use those to get me out. Yeah. It's like, man, even I would question. I'd be like, yeah, 
but like you're in there and I I'm can take here. this and go anywhere. But be set forever. You never know who they know. That's true. You never know who they're talking to. Right. It's it's messy. And right? you've probably also heard plenty of stories of how someone from a potentially untangible, unknown location was still able to pull off something, right? Yeah. Like, oh, this uh, Johnny Smith? Oh, he's behind bars somewhere in Miami. Like, right. oh, but Johnny Smith was able well, to take your cousin one, out yesterday. One little note or one little mm -hmm. whisper to the right person. Yep. Just it's a very, honestly, like, just, it seems like a very spooky environment to be a part of. Right. I just truly. Yeah. Um, which is why you end up with very dedicated individuals. Hello again, Task Force. It's Trevor here to give you some Red Web news. Uh, not a whole lot going on because we have RTX coming up this week. Looking forward to seeing some of you out there. We don't have a panel or anything, so don't worry. You're not missing out. Uh, there's only so much space on the docket, but we have huge plans. I'm very excited for RTX 2023 as well. So hopefully we'll see you at both year's conventions. Also in Red Web news, if you want some Red Web premium, let me walk you through what you're going to get. Go to redwebpod.com in order to get some premium. It's only $2.99 a month if you are so inclined. It will go to support our show directly, as well as all of the merch and stuff that you guys have been so great to buy. But also, you don't have to listen to the ads. Create that really nice, smooth experience. Uh, no ads. You get it a whole day early as well, so you don't have to wait for those Monday morning hours in order to indulge in some mystery intrigue. But yeah, $2.99 a month. If you're so inclined, once again, redwebpod.com. And it's available on all of your podcast platforms. So no matter where you listen to us on, this will be available for you. And with that said, let's talk about today's fantastic sponsor. This episode of Red Web is brought to you by Raycon. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of different artists and podcasts, and it's been great. I love taking some time away from the screens and everything to go on a walk and listen to some good tunes and some good voices. One reason on top of that it's been great is because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds in order to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever with optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit. Those earbuds are so comfortable, they're not going to budge. Trust me, I use the big ones because I got those honking ears. They don't fall out, never worried about that, and they're very, very comfortable even after listening for quite some time. Raycons offer three sound profiles to match whatever it is that you're listening to, plus noise isolation and awareness mode. So you can choose to be immersed in your sound, your podcast, your music, or be able to hear your surroundings when you need to, which is also very important at times. So check out Raycon's wireless earbuds today by going to buyraycon.com redweb to get 15% off your Raycon order. Once again, that's buyraycon.com slash redweb to score that juicy 15% off. Buyraycon.com slash redweb. With that said, let's dive right back into the mystery. Uh, but moving on, let's talk about Paul Calantropo, a jeweler in Boston who claimed that Donati showed up at his office a month after the heist with an eagle-shaped finial that he asked the jeweler to appraise, very much like the eagle that was stolen from the museum. This was the last time, in fact, that Calantropo saw Donati, who was killed the following year. Donati was under investigation at the time, so some believe that he died with valuable information on this case, such is an ongoing theme here, it seems. Calantropo kept this secret for a very long time because he feared for his life if he were to ever come out about this interaction with Donati, that the mafia might come after him. Loose lips, right? Another connection between Jimmy Marks, who we talked about before, and this theft came from Guarante's wife, Aline, 
During an interview with investigators in 2010, she showed them a picture of Marx and said that her husband had actually killed Marx. She also told the investigators that her husband had two of the stolen Gardner paintings and gave them the mobster Robert Gentile before his passing. So did she hate her husband? <laughs> spilling all the beans. A lot of beans being spilled, you know? Not a lot of tea drinkers out here. It's all over the floor, this tea. Uh, just so you know, that interview with Guarante's wife was yeah. in 2010, and he died in 2005. Got so it. he's already dead. Oh, okay. So there you go. Five years later, she's doing the interview, and she's like, you know what? Eh, whatever. I feel he like, did that. I feel he's like dead. I'd still be mourning my husband or my wife. Well, he stole some of, stuff. So. Yeah, true. <laughs> but yeah, it seems like a, at this point, as the investigators get close to people, it seems like a lot of people are squealing under pressure. They're all name-dropping one another. But then it starts to expose the very intricate social network going on in this crime network and how messy or misdirective it is. It makes it very hard to really, to really follow. And maybe that's by design. It, yeah. So now all of this information ultimately seems to come from Amor, aside from obviously the some of the interviews from investigators, but Amor shared these findings in hopes of rekindling this investigation. You know, again, he's the head of security now for this museum. And he was hoping that maybe this would reveal more information, more people would come to light, that the press would dig into this, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe find more information on Marx or Guarente or the heist itself, either way. Uh, but I do want to talk about Robert Gentile before we move on to the theories, because this, this individual, ooh, some spicy information. Okay. So, federal prosecutors claimed in a court that Gentile was a prominent name in the world of organized crime in Boston and in the 90s, place and time, and motives all kind of there. Gentile first became a person of interest in 2010 after that interview went down with Aline Guarente's interview with the investigators. She name dropped him. So they said, cool, let's look into this guy. And as of 2010, police searched his home where they found a handwritten list of all 13 pieces of stolen arts from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. And it also had their estimated values written next to them. So, okay, interesting. Federal prosecutors said that during a sting operation, Gentile revealed that he had access to two of those paintings and that he could sell them for $500,000 each. Obviously way lower than the true yeah. potential true value, but either way, apparently he's talking about selling them and having access to them. He was believed to be the last man withholding information regarding the heist before he passed away in September of 2021, halting any further leads into this case and potentially being or wow, potentially taking recently. the last, yeah, very recently and potentially taking like, important information to the grave with him and with him potentially the solve to this case. Look, I've said it before in previous episodes and I'll say it again. Mm -hmm. If I'm on my deathbed and I've done something like that, I don't know. I feel like I'll just drop it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll, just, I'll just drop all the information. Yeah. And be like, all right, listen up here, FBI. But you, you go and ahead and cozy up next to me on my deathbed. Let me go ahead and just. You, you let, just, me, <laughs> let me weave you a tale of things that happen. I see what's going to happen. He's frail. 98 years old on his death. Yep. But he says, mm, listen here, young one. And he All reaches right. over to, to the FBI. He, he reaches out his sippy cup of knowledge. He says, drink deep from the cup of knowledge, for <laughs> I will bequeath you the you, tale of you, the art. You will know all. <laughs> Drink deep of my knowledge. Listen up, young blood. As I look at the FBI, <laughs> and he's I go, like, and I go, is that, is that my bed, bed coming up? up? 
<laughs> don't act like you don't have that now. <laughs> oh, I do. It's comfy. It was, so I just let them know. Oh, man. You, you wait. You, you hang on every bated breath. You know, you just, what are they going to do? Right. Or you, you, you know, you go to the grave knowing that people are going to be twisting and turning, trying to figure this out. But you knew they don't. I don't know. I, but I feel like the satisfaction for me would finally be like, <laughs> I was going to say, I held my nut for that long. But, <laughs> <laughs> <Note> it. <laughs> but like I withheld information for that long and I got away with it. So, you know, whatever. I'm dying I feel now. like Here you go. I feel like, you know, we're cut from a different cloth than the mafia. Right. But I Still think... the same cloth, though. Oh, it's a very wide tapestry. It There's is. things I don't know about you. But I think what you would probably do is throw out some sort of goofs. You know, you, you throw them like a very long tail that ends in a punchline. And then you... you that's your last breath. And then you're Ooh. out. And then you leave them believing it and then go, wait, was that true or was that not or was that joke? Right. I well, I mean, in the the way you described it, uh -huh. right? I'd have I'd have them take a sip from the sippy cup of knowledge. Yes. Then as I'm dying, go, was that really the true sippy cup? <sighs> <laughs> was it poison? <sighs> uh, yeah, you just gaslight them on yeah, your way much. out. Yeah. Well, ultimately, you know, as we end up going to the theories and suspects portion of this discussion, reminding everybody that this is a $10 million reward. In fact, there's actually a sub reward of $100,000 specifically for the Napoleonic Eagle finial that we've talked about. But despite this luscious right. reward, no one has ever come forward. Damn. Yeah. Think of all the renovating we can do at Task Force HQ. Just so many building and deconstructing like, and rebuilding. Like oh. one room. Oh, yeah. It's just like, <laughs> like we're going to recreate room. this museum so we can walk the crime scene here. I don't want to go to Boston. No. I want to do it here. Far. It's just a little far. I want to stretch my legs here. It takes two years to build. <sighs> All right. So let's talk about some of the suspects and the theories behind this one. So in 2015, the FBI stated that they believed with high confidence it was two men. Now, I do want to give this a little caveat. Jillian was was letting me know in, in researching this that there aren't a lot of trustworthy sources for this because if the FBI is going to come forward with something confidently, you'd think that you'd see it everywhere. So I'm not sh very sure, journalistically speaking, how strong this information is. So we'll take it as a theory. Yeah, I don't know for sure if this is who the FBI thinks it is. I yeah. know that they have suspects who they believe did it, mm -hmm. but I don't think they ever publicly revealed it. Yeah. Again, they've been very cagey, so they definitely have some names in mind. But This, this seems is to what be inside theorize. sources suggest Ooh. these names. But mm. who those inside sources are and where they came from. That's sure. where it gets really hairy to figure yeah. out. Yeah. So, with that said, this, again, it's a theory, 2015. The two men that are theorized are George Reisfelder and Leonardo DiMuzio. So, Reisfelder and DiMuzio worked for a crime boss, Carmelo Merlino. Both men resembled the police sketches that were drawn up from the criminals, obviously from the guards' recollections, and family members claimed to have seen the paintings in Reisfelder's home following the crime. So immediately it feels, anecdotally anyway, might be the guys. I'm, maybe I'm just built different. Hmm? Tonka tough. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Built Ford tough. But... Again, I just don't under, I just built different in the sense of like, I just don't understand. Like if I had this, I wouldn't just have it lying around or yeah. pinned up somewhere and then have like a dinner with family. Right. You, you don't want to get your family involved in this. Right. Danger. You get one, get them involved more so just like, 
I don't want any rats. Right. You don't want rats nibbling away at it. Yeah. I want to mothball that thing and shove it deep in a chest like yep. Maz did with Luke's uh, or Anakin's uh, uh, lightsaber. Yep. Yeah. It wasn't Luke's. But then, you know, but then she did the thing too where she's like, I got to show. I got to show it. <laughs> I digress. I digress. I'm about to geek out. Okay. So based on witness sightings, the FBI believed that the art was transported to Connecticut once again and then subsequently Philadelphia through organized crime connections to in order to sell this and all of these other items on the black market. Unfortunately, both men died within a year of the heist, so the theory cannot be confirmed and where the paintings went after all of this would still be unknown. Were they killed as well? That's a really good question. I mean, you know, if you're trying to cut some ties, take out the foot soldiers that did it. What do you think, Jillian? Ricefelder died of cocaine overdose. Let me see the about white sugar. Dimazio. While Jillian looks that up too, I just want to share their photos next to the police sketches for your uh, just kind of analysis. <laughs> what if I gave you just a totally fake photo anyway? Oh, Jillian. <laughs> who, who, who is that? The, the one with that, that is Ricefelder. That's Ricefelder. Yeah. You can see another photo of him you, on the left. I wanted you, to make sure you saw his hair. You handed me a photo of a man who looks surprised with his head tilted slightly and a bowl haircut. I was gonna say that's not that's not hair that we're seeing. That is a an upturned bowl slathered on his head. <laughs> it threw me off. It's like it somebody really, took Ringo Starr's hair from 61 and put it on it, a man. It really threw uh, Demuzio me off. was murdered. Demuzio was murdered. Okay. Oh. And Reisfelder. Ricefelder, uh, yeah, on the pixie dust. Mm. He knew the fairies. He rode the the lightning, the white sugar. I don't know. I don't know drug terms. It clearly, you know, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> emphasize once more. You're not. really not cut from the same cloth as these gentlemen in the mafia. And I, you know what? I respect you for that. Or as much as you want to be on that cloth. Or I've ascended. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's a very brief, but albeit I, I want to admit it's, it's very hard to find believable sources or, or strong sources oh, for this information. So this one stays, despite name dropping the FBI, firmly in the confines of theory. With the mafia being unreliable? Mm. What? So let's now talk about the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, because art investigator Arthur Brand believes the Irish Republican Army is responsible for the heist and claims, quote, I'm 100% sure that the stolen paintings are in Ireland, no doubt in my mind. Brand works to recover stolen artwork as a job, that's his career, and he hypothesizes that the IRA is using the artworks as payment for drug or arm deals, though no evidence has ever been proven or come forward to prove that the theory. IRA is involved. So once again, very much a theory, but still a suspect worth mentioning. This next theory, super intriguing. Definitely makes a lot of sense given the parameters, but let's dive into it. It's theorized that this heist might have been an inside job, that a museum worker might have been culpable for this whole shebang. Because, I mean, we, we talked about how the mafia might have had some inside knowledge about the security, but of course, an employee of this museum would also have inside knowledge as far as the layout of the museum, any sort of secrets, the security system. So let's dive into that. Whoever did this seemingly knew a lot about where the cameras were, how they were recorded and where. That's true. The motion detectors and where they were, as well as where those were printed out because those were all nabbed before they left. They did not, however, know about the hard drive. So there is that. They also appeared to know that the alarms 
if they went off and when they went off, that they would not alert the police. Because if they did, if they were like an, a, an estranged person, somebody coming in, they hear the alarm, we got to book it, police are on the way. Whoever these folks were did not seem to care. So they knew that. Another more interesting thing is that there was a secret door hidden in one of the walls that when the police finally arrived on the scene was seen open. So it stands to reason that whoever might have been doing this was maybe a security guard or someone that knew this place pretty well. Well, yeah. How do you know about the secret door? Mm -hmm. Jillian, do we know what's behind the secret door? Like what this might have been used for? Or was this just to get around the place? Or was it like, that's where the cameras record back Let there. me pull back in my history. No worries. I know there's a lot of like super nuanced details. So, I mean, look, I'd like to think that it was an inside job because how would they know about the secret door? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't seem like this place was kind of up to snuff in terms of security. That wouldn't surprise me if there was it was a very apparent secret door. Ah, right. Like it's just <laughs> a smooth white, for example, a smooth white wall and you just see a, a rectangular right. crack in the wall. And you're exactly. like, that's a door. That's a door. What if it I'm was like open it, but if it was like N64 days, like GoldenEye, where you're like, that item is more lightly colored than the rest of the texture, oh. i.e. that could be interacted with. Or just like in animated shows. Like, yeah, like Scooby-Doo. You're yeah. like, that thing's going to move because it's got exactly. a different, you know what I mean? You look at like a rock cliff and then like, oh, that piece of like yeah. rock that they're climbing up on is painted differently. Mm -hmm. It's definitely going to move. Yep. 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 Because it wasn't page. part of the background. Exactly. Um. Very interesting. Well, while Jillian researches into that secret door, I'm going to talk about Rick Abbott, who was one of the two guards that night who was detained during the heist. At the time, just a quick background on him, at the time he was 23 and was a music school dropout. It was not abnormal for Abbott to show up high at his shift. Another more interesting thing is that he was caught on security cameras, not in 4K, but he was caught, letting someone into the museum the night prior using the very same doors that the thieves knew to come to the following night in order to reach the guards. So we, I, we got people behind the scenes here going like, what is going on? Like, it feels very much like an inside job. Wait, so they had one of the security guards yes. was a 23 year old. Yes. Sto mm -hmm. yeah, right. Stoner. Yes. Guarding. He's very expensive. Art. He's the man at the desk. Not like Christian, who's our man at the desk. I just and our fall guy. It's just. How? What? Hold on. For, for everybody listening, Fred is just gripping his temples. What? Thinking it, processing. Was there no one with any common sense down the chain of command at any point? That's the thing. Is it for, for such a fantastic place with so much history, so much value, even if you want to just simplify it to that? Yeah. Seems like a very flimsy security system. I feel like my house has higher security right. than this place. Where's the background <laughs> checks happening on these folks? What? And also, like, this uh, guy needs to be chewed out for, like, letting question mark individuals in. On their shift oh, late at night. Not even chewed out, like you're gone. Or yeah, like, or just why, you're gone. Why would yeah. you the priceless piece of art? Why right. are you taking any chances whatsoever? Mm -hmm. Hey, do you ever want to lick the Mona Lisa? <laughs> Come around 1 a.m. <laughs> knock on the door three times. I'll let you in. <laughs> oh no, little, we're burgled. <laughs> like what a little taste the Mona Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I just read it, it leads downstairs. It, it just leads downstairs. Yeah. I guess I guess that's where the, the guards were taken. So maybe... They were taking to the basement. They were taking to the basement. Down, yeah. basement but they also downstairs. knew how to get there. So this is downstairs from an upstairs or downstairs from the ground floor? I'm asking you a lot of questions. The Dutch is this... room is on the second... It's okay. not on the first floor. I know that for okay. sure. Okay. So so we just know that it leads to downstairs. There's no other kind of I'm not, like I'm, information to... Yeah. I can't find it. If 
If so. That's okay. No, you, I just, you got the blueprints on the place? Yeah, I, I'm asking for a lot I've of seen things <laughs> I want to know. Putting you on the spot. You know who did it? Yeah. That Why I don't you just say. tell us who did it? Stop yeah. all this rigmarole. Right. You know. I cannot say. <laughs> Teasing the task force. It's too hot. It's too hot. <laughs> Go ahead and solve it. Let's collect our 10 mil. All right. So so it seems like this, this secret door was essentially just a way to get around the place. Especially if it was an upstairs door that it wouldn't stand to reason that they were like, hey, show us downstairs and to the basement so we can detain you there security guards and then so it doesn't seem like the security guards were the ones who used this door but rather maybe the criminals i don't know trying to read between the lines so either way leaving the security door behind us now through the security door a lot of red flags around abbott and let me just say this mystery gets even juicier so get that sippy cup ready because we're about to the nutrition is flowing it's it's so full now so not only did security cameras catch him the night before letting somebody in the very same door Abbott opened the back door minutes before the two armed men arrived to initiate this heist. This is the very same door that they used to enter the building. So minutes before this whole thing went down, he happens to saunter over to this door and open it, not really knowing what he was doing about that, and then leaves it and goes back to his station. Now, he was questioned about this, and when questioned, he claimed that him opening that door was a common practice for him but that was never confirmed. And I can't believe they didn't dig further because literally the night before he let somebody in that way. And I don't know who that person was and why they did not continue to search, but uh, wait, frustration. Oh my God. Okay. Oh hold yeah. On. I'm hold on. No, no, that no. Is, no, no that, that, I can't that. let you hang on that because I got so much more to just blast you with. I can't let you calm down just to blast you. No, again, no, it's you know? like the biggest BS excuse. All right. Why'd you like open the, was this the secret door? In the back door. No, this is not the secret door. This is this the, the door back... to the outside that the the, the two right. supposed this, police like, like a back came door. To. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And his the answer was this is something I do. I just do this. Yeah. I th- I think uh, he's uh, taking a bit of a smoke break. You know what I'm saying? You know, he's getting a little taste of the herb life. You know, he's getting a little seasoning, a little zest. They just didn't question it further. They just were like, hey, right. This, this is something he does. They're like, ah, pff, this is just a pothead. Let's move on. This guy can't have done sense. it. Mm-hmm. Well, this really doesn't help the insider knowledge theory here. So he was questioned about it. Not much came out of it. So it's also worth mentioning that an empty frame from one of the stolen pieces of art was left on the museum security director's chair after the robbery was concluded. So when the police come to the crime scene, they're investigating. This is when they find this empty frame sat on his chair. It is worth noting that Abbott and this very same security director apparently didn't get along. Can't imagine why, but they didn't get along. And he had put in his notice for leaving this job really not all that long before this heist went down. So again, another red flag. Guys got uh, beef with him. Maybe, maybe he left the frame there or had the criminals leave the frame there as a way to taunt him. I don't know. Maybe, maybe try to frame him. Ooh. With a frame. Um, but he never did return to his job at the museum after all of this went down. Federal investigators were really never able to eliminate him as a suspect, despite his insistent claims that he had nothing to do with it. But um, I don't know. I can't believe that they, they, they didn't look into this, tear the information limb from limb to figure out. Because like, like, regardless if he was involved, just a fishy character. Very fishy character. Either way. Stinky. 
it, it stands to reason that someone was giving insider information. So whether he wanted this crime to go down, whether he was part of the crime, or whether he just enabled it in some way, this guy seems to be involved. Seems like he's got a lot of red flags revolving around him. And if he was 23 at the time, apparently not enough. He's 30, excuse me, he was he's 54, 55 right now. Let's get him on the horn. And I'm and I mean that of the FBI, Whoa. someone more a little bit more capable. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'll give We're him not a phone ready. call. I'm like, look, you could tell me. You could tell me. Listen, I'm not gonna tell anyone. You could tell what's me. that what's that hissing and shushing noise in the background? Oh no, this nothing. Don't My cat. So that one's that one's really interesting. That one's got me kind of like twisted a little bit, because woof. And the final theory that I want to talk about has a couple more nuggets of curious information, and it is an interesting theory, albeit very generic. So some theorize that there was some other art collector out there that hired a group of criminals in order to take out this heist. So it could stand to reason that all the theories that we talked about do have some weight to them, but that some sort of anonymous art collector had hired them mm. in order to carry out this crime and then order in order to get these particular pieces of art. It would answer why they went for specific items when more valuable pieces were around. Right, but it did seem like the pieces weren't moving as a unit. Because you did have various, mm. like, I guess, like, mobsters, right? Yeah. They were talking about, like, oh, I have access to two pieces. Yeah. Or, like, I know a piece. Well, what if you hired the mafia who knew a guy in the museum? Okay. You're like, perfect. I guess that's the streamlined place to go to. Right. One mafia, please. And you give them your coupon. I imagine yeah. that's how that works. Yeah. And then they do the thing. Mm -hmm. And you go, ha-ha. But then they go, yeah, but now we have it. Now we have your goods. Why would we work with you now you know and then maybe again just building out a hypothetical situation what if then the art collector said i didn't steal it but i i can kind of help but i gotta be anonymous because the mafia knows oh. it's me because remember maybe this was the letter guy they were the letter guy or to flip it but the fbi is like please come back yeah yeah baby come back we we did you wrong you can blame it all on someone else yeah yeah or to flip it, maybe the art collector, whoever they were, wanted right. it and that the person who carried out the crime was the letter writer. Either way, this theory kind of fits nicely in a few ways, yeah. but not in some other ways. For example, why would an art collector want their paintings cut out That's what I'm rather saying. than the full frame or deframed or whatever? Seems unlikely that someone who would collect this and want it in their right. personal... Well I, I would know. like to think if they're that However, high criminals class hide art, art collector, uh, they'd want it to be as pristine as possible. Right. For whoever comes through mm -hmm. their hidden black market art gallery. Yeah. There's a special, there's a room, a red room. Oh. Full of paintings. Seems to be, you seem <laughs> to know an awful lot. Hold on a second. Do you you like seem my, to know an awful lot about this hypothetical. Do you like my drawings? Room. Wait, huh? <laughs> Wait, what is that? What are you handing me now? <laughs> what is like, this? Do you like my drawings? <laughs> <laughs> I would, I, I would do, scatter. Do you like my? Now you just sound like the doodler. Oh yeah. I, <laughs> do you like the way I? I feel like I would you? scatter it with some originals and see if you could tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're like, ah, the Mona Lisa, that guy that's screaming with a like with a right. melty face. Yep. The scream. Yes, the scream. Yeah. <laughs> um, other art piece. Oh, what's this one? A stick figure on a mound. <laughs> Whoa, next to a wow. warehouse. Interesting. Wow. Prehistoric, possibly. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think that that would slip by. Oh, well, you don't know me in uh, my art. <laughs> maybe it's worth the try.
But uh, but yeah, those are the main theories behind this heist. One last piece of information that I think is really interesting. So Isabella Stewart Gardner's will says, and again, she's the namesake for the museum. It says that she specified that she wanted nothing in the museum galleries to be changed. Thus, meaning that no new items could be bought or sold. And it would subsequently mean that the empty frames from the stolen artworks would still hang in the museum, representing the loss of art and encouraging people to keep searching, trying to find the culprit or at least finding these lost pieces of art. That is beautiful yet sad all at the same time. It really is. But let's talk once more for the reward. I, I baited you, so I kept you all the way to the end. So if you have that knowledge, here, here it is. Go. This is how you can enact it. If you have, no, but truly, if you have information or if you've heard any information, there is an ongoing kind of email that one can reach out right. to. Now, I do have to say, as always, before I give this, like, don't just go spam in this email. This is an actual, like, investigation that's being sought after. And it is a crime yeah. to clog the pipelines and meddle with an investigation. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't be silly, all right? Trouble. Just don't go getting yourself in trouble. But the email is reward at gardnermuseum.org. Because, Task Force, if somehow somebody out there did know something, holy crap, that would be wild to finally be able Insane. to crack a case like this. So make but, sure you put your first and last name when you submit that information. And then also, like, you know, courtesy of, like, Task Force. Right, right. right. Give us all the credit. Well, put your name on it, but nah, I want to make sure like, you, you I split mean, that reward 90 you know, like 90 to us. Like, represent, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come on. Right. It'd be like... Blake Lively of the Red Web Task Force. Well, we know she's in. <laughs> Gotta know, know she's in. Like, came forward with information. <laughs> like, it's in dang. your. It's maybe it's in your uh, your crazy. signature. They call it in yeah. your email. It's if you pretty got good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Just ask for a little bit. Yeah, just a, just a, none of the money. Just a little bit of the prize. Just a little bit of the cred. Yeah, you we'll know. Take it. And then we'll print the email out, frame it, hang it up in our art gallery that we are designing we for the task force headquarters in yep. the East Wing. Another room to build up. <laughs> I just, I just want to say, uh, and that, and I want to provide closure to the heist. That is the closure to the heist. Now this is the banter segment right. as we close it out. But uh, very interesting thing. But I do want to say, like, I've really enjoyed how the task force have latched onto the idea that we are. Building, remodeling, developing departments, then downsizing, then rebuilding back out. Have they latched on to that? Yeah. Some people were like, this feels very Night Vale. This feels like a place, a building that would exist in Night Vale. Mm -hmm. And I would love nothing more than like a little Easter egg, a little shout out from our folks over at Night Vale. But that's that's me just being a wait, fan. Wait a second. We did have a call to action huh? that from the higher ups, remember? Oh, they were ahead. like, hey, we need, what was it? Save Christian? Uh, Yeah, Save Christian. <laughs> How, oh. How'd that go? I saw some save Christian like immediately. I, like, <laughs> yeah. I went to go make yeah. the tweet hashtag save Christian before I was like, I, did I accidentally tweet before I wait? What was the call from the higher ups? I'm sorry. Right, there was another call from the higher ups that we needed to have more reviews. Right. Okay. There. Yeah. I, okay. In order to save Christian. But with all that said, truly, hashtag save Christian. Uh, you can do so with those very, very kind five-star reviews on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to us. All those reviews truly do make a difference. So we really, really appreciate it. That like, just makes our day to see those come flying through. You guys have come out. You've showed up, Task Force. Also, hey, uh, we released uh, the, the Baby Hands plush. That flew out of the store that as was well. gone in a heartbeat. So Task Force, I just want to say, at the end of this episode of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum Heist, Thank you all so much for showing up in the way that you do and showing your support. It means a whole, whole lot. There will be some baby hands 
plushies at RTX. I know that we had a second shipment exclusively for RTX yep. coming yeah, through. Yeah, trying to get more for, and so if you're at RTX, mm -hmm. go ahead and bring, bring that little, little boy nearby if you see us. But with that said, this has been the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist. So, so interesting. I honestly didn't know a whole lot about this one. This is one I of the ones that Jillian let me this. know about. And that's an absurd amount of money. It's like the biggest art heist ever. Ever. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff I don't know in terms of mysteries. Yeah, it turns out. Yeah. Well, if you want to find out more about mysteries, you could subscribe to the show. Yes, so that you way can. you know next Monday, as always, be here for be another, another one. Yeah? yeah. All right. See you then. Bye.